So let's get to it, y'all. We are going to read the word today. That's really what we're here to do. And so <clears throat> we'll be in Zechariah chapter eight. We're going to read Zechariah chapter eight, and then we're just going to go see where the Lord leads. Got nothing planned. That's why it's called the read and rant. I that most likely I'm just going to rant right after this, but um, you guys get a get to get a you know I guess a peek eavesdrop into my process, but more importantly, you guys get to sit down and read through large portions of the text, not just a verse or the verse of the day, or just study two or three verses, but that we would read the Bible from a broader perspective. Um, it's, it's important. Another thing I'll just say real quick, and this is the thing I think a lot of us miss is we read the Bible often in these pieces all around, like, you know, we just take a piece here, take a piece there, take a piece here, take a piece there. It's not to say there's anything wrong with that, but we're going to miss out on the broader picture if we don't actually read it through from a bigger perspective, um, from a more broad perspective. So what I encourage people to do is actually read through the whole thing first. Even if you don't fully understand it, read the whole thing, then go back and start breaking different parts down. Because now you're actually reading and studying your scripture through the lens of the totality of the scripture, not just through, you know, um, um, one or two scriptures or, you know, 30 verses that you know, but you're actually reading it through the whole lens and through the grand narrative of what God is doing. And so that's why I encourage you to do that. And so, yeah, well, let's go ahead and we're going to be in uh, chapter eight. We're going to pray and then we're going to get started. Father, thank you, Lord, as we spend time today in your word. Father, I pray that you would bless this time. Lord, um, engage us with you today, Lord, as we engage with the scripture. Lord, reveal your heart, your will, your desire towards us, Lord God. Lord, we pray, Lord, that this word would do a work in us as we uh, spend time with you in it. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's go, y'all. Let's read. Chapter eight. Again, the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. I am zealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall sit again in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in his eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, will it be also marvelous in my eyes, says the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Behold, I will save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will bring them back and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who have been hearing in these days, these words by the mouth of the prophets who spoke in the day of in the day the foundation was laid. For the house of the Lord of hosts, that the temple might be built. For before these days, there were no wages for man, nor any hire for beast. There was no peace from the enemy for whoever went out or came in. For I set all men, everyone against his neighbor. But now I will not treat the remnant of of this people as in the former days, said the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous. The vine shall give its fruit, the ground shall give her increase, and the heavens shall give her due. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I determined to punish you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I would not relent. So again, in these days, I am determined to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things you shall do. 
Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil of your in your heart against your neighbor. And do not love a false oath. For all these things I hate, says the Lord. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts hmm. for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us continue to go and pray before the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself will also go. Yes, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord, O hosts in Jerusalem, and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Chapter 9 the burden of the word of the Lord against the land of Hadrach of Damas and Damascus, its resting place for the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord also against Hamath, which borders it and against Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise for Tyre built herself a tower heaped up silver like the dust and gold like the mire of the streets. Therefore, the Lord will cast her out. He will destroy her power in the sea, and she will be devoured by fire. Eshkelon shall see it in fear. Gaza also shall be very sorrowful. Necron, for he dried up her expectation. The king shall perish from Gaza, and Eshkelon shall not be inhabited. A mixed race shall settle in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take away the blood from his mouth and the abominations from between his teeth. But he who remains, even he shall be for our God and shall be like a leader in Judah and Ekron, like a Jebusite. I'll camp around my house because of the enemy, because of him who passes by and him who returns. No more shall an oppressor pass through them. For now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth, God, sorry, verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you, for I have bent Judah by my bow. Sorry, I have bent Judah, sorry, my bow, fitted the bow of Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. Then the Lord will be seen over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will blow the trumpet and go with whirlwinds from the south. The Lord of hosts will defend them. They shall devour and subdue with sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if with wine. They shall be filled with blood like basins, like the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the crown, sorry, like the jewels of a crown, lifted up, sorry, lifted like a banner over his land. For how great is its goodness and how great its beauty. The grain shall make the young men thrive and new wine, the young women. Hmm. 
10. Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wend their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds. I will punish the goat herds and I will, <clears throat> sorry. I, yeah. And I will punish the goat herds for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone, from him, the tent peg, from him, the battle bull, from him, every ruler together, they shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them and the riders on horses shall be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord, their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim, shall be like mighty man, like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children, and they shall return. I will also bring them back from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon until no more room is found for them. He shall pass through the sea with affliction and strike the waves of the sea. All the depths of the river shall dry up. Then the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. So I will strengthen them in the Lord and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. Chapter 11. Open the doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is the sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. Thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for the slaughter, <laughs> whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for the slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bonds, and I fed the flock. We come back to that sometime. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those who are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not refrain, they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, sorry, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter so that the princely price they set on me. 
So I took the 30 pieces of silver, threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, next, take for yourself the implements of the, the foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear the hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who feeds the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Chapter 12, the burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding people. When they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all peoples who would heave it away, will surely cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it in that day, says the Lord. I will strike every horse of confusion and its rider with madness. I'll open my eyes on the house of Judah and I will strike every horse on the peoples with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength in the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a fire pan in a wood pile and like a fiery torch in the sheaves. They shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left, but Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first, so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall not become greater than that of Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeding among them in that day shall be like David. And the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. It shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, that they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him who mourned for his only son and grieve him as one who grieves for the firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi, and their wives by themselves, the family of, sorry, the family of Shimei by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families shall remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. In that day, chapter 13, in that day, a fountain shall be opened in the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. It shall be in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols of the land and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to depart from the land. It shall come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who begot him shall trust, shall thrust him through when he prophesies. It shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. But he will say, I am no prophet. I am a farmer. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. The one will say to him, 
what are the wounds between your arms? And I will answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, against the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd. The sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two thirds in it shall be cut off and die. And one third shall be left in it. I will bring the one third through the fire. Will we find them as the silver is refined and test them as the gold is tested? They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. I just realized we're almost at the end. We might as well finish it. <laughs> Chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken. The house is rifled. The women ravished. Half the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will be diminished. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that the living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. All the land shall be returned into a plain, from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while, while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouth. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise, the hand, raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah also will fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. Such shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel and the donkey, and on the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. I got so many thoughts. I'm all going to be all over the place. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came to Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up after and enter in, sorry, and enter in they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord 
strikes the nations who do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots of the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall be there shall be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. <laughs> the word of God. Um, we have successfully completed. Um, <laughs> it's funny. We, we, we've successfully completed our reading of Zechariah. Fam, we got one last book, y'all. We are going to finish the Bible tomorrow, which is cool, y'all, which is cool. Um, And and there's so much to celebrate from that, because I think once we once we're done here, I'd love to maybe spend some time just reflecting on the totality of what we've read in the Old Testament. And I'm not going to belabor our time today with that. And, you know, I'll save that for, um, yeah, I'll save that for next week. A few things that I want to make sure that you're catching here. And these are things that I would like for you to pay attention to, but also to be careful on how I communicate it, because in the way that I communicate it, it may cause a lot of people to get stirred up. It may cause a lot of church folks to get stirred up. I don't know what's happening, y'all, but it seems that in the past few weeks, church folks are getting angry and angrier at me. <laughs> I don't know what's the deal, y'all, but uh, church folks are not happy with me. <laughs> and I think the reason why is because what they're dealing with now is a cognitive dissonance. It's when you finally read it and then you point what you've read and they have no answer for the questions and the points that you bring up because the answers do not align with their understanding or what they've been taught or been told about what the Bible says. And I get that. I want to say that I, I get it. I understand why Christians get upset because when you've been taught something for so long or you've been instructed in a way for so long, by people you've trusted and respected. When someone else tells you that, that, well, that's not really scriptural or that's not biblical or where did you get that from? I believe that it's a loving thing for many people to respond in that way. Because to actually heed some of the things that I'm saying would mean that this would discredit the person who taught you or who you learn from, which would, which would not only disqualify them in your eyes, so it would diminish your view of them, but also, it, so put it like this, it would either diminish your view of, of who they are or of who they are in their ability or understanding, or it would diminish your view of their character. That is, were they intentionally deceiving you? Either way, none of it is good. And of course, the safest thing for you to do in processing that is just to say, this is a lie. I'm going to move on. We don't leave space for truth because truth not only sometimes hurts us, but it may hurt our perspectives of the people we love and trust. 
because now if if I'm if he's wrong or if she's wrong about what she told me about what the Bible says, if any of these people are wrong, then were they deceiving me or did I just trust the wrong person? And if I trusted the wrong person, who's to say that I can trust this guy who's talking right now on TikTok or on Instagram or on Discord or on whatever it may be? I know there are people who wrestle with that. There was a time where I used to be like, man, why are they so upset? But I realized that this is what they're wrestling with. And I get that. I, mean, I hope y'all get that. Right? I hope you guys get that. My response to that is don't even trust me. <laughs> you don't need to choose me over, uh, you know, uh, you know, your pastor or your leader. You don't need to trust me over, you know, people that you respected and trusted before. You don't need to do that. Just read the word for yourself. That's it. My invitation is for you to read it for yourself. Get it for yourself. (laughs) So for everyone who says, this guy is spitting false information. Am I really? Because I never asked you to trust me. I never asked you to see me as a, as an expert. What I'm asking for you to do is to go and read it for yourself. Like see what it actually says and to see that maybe what you thought truth was, wasn't, and maybe what was taught to you isn't true. And that doesn't necessarily diminish that person's character. Some of, some of the folks that who, who taught you these things weren't trying to deceive you, but they're taking what was taught to them. And so it's important that if we're going to break the generational curses of misinformation and indoctrination that does not align with scripture, then go read it for yourself. That's it. Just go read it for yourself. This is why we have a misunderstanding of the gospel. This is why we have a misunderstanding of God. This is why we have misunderstanding of Jesus. And by consequence, we have a very small view of the church. Which by consequence Many of us here have a small view of ourselves. You have a small view of yourself to the point where the bishops and the, 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 the popes and the, you know, the pastors and the priests, they're all much closer to God. Like they're, they're all higher. They're higher ups. You know me, I'm just, I'm just a small little ignorant little baby believer who doesn't really know much and needs somebody to tell me what to do and how to live. This is what we've been conditioned to become as a people, as the body of Christ, as the church, the fullness of God. Like this is what, this is what we become y'all. How did this happen? Well, it happened because we don't read it for ourselves. That was just my mini rant before I come in, because again, I've seen, I'm sorry if I say this, but again, I'm just, just hear me out. I've seen baby Christians who are more Christ-like than quote, quote unquote, the seasoned church folks. I've seen baby Christians who move in the power, the heart, the justice, and the will of God more than I've seen a lot of people who grew up in church and know church culture and church lingo. I think when we talk about baby Christians, we're talking about, oh, people who just joined the cult (laughs) or people who just joined the club. (laughs) Ah, but here's the thing. The baby Christians are the ones who are submitted to the spirit of God. 
and yes, there's still some issues of spiritual maturity and identity and all that good stuff. But I found that there are some baby Christians who are way ahead of the church folks who've been around for a long minute. This is why I hate the term baby Christians, because baby Christians is almost based off of, you know, their tenure, <laughs> how long they've been in church. <laughs> Only to realize that they probably know more about Jesus and about God than some folks who grew up in church. How long you've been in church doesn't determine how mature you are. My goodness, I don't know what's going on with me today. How long you've been to church does not determine how mature you are. Just because you've been in church longer, just because you got your own seat, just because you went to Sunday school, just because you know everything about the church, you know the history of the church, you grew up in church, just because you got all that don't mean that you've been mature in the faith. In the same way, you can have a 20-year-old who's more mature than a 50-year-old. You can have a quote-unquote baby Christian who's much more mature than some of the folks who grew up on the stuff. I've seen people who are new to the faith move in the full stature and identity of Christ more than some people who got the title bishop, pastor, and preacher. So please do not, do not think that just because you've been around for a long time means that you've been mature in the church. Sorry for the fighting words. Why, did I, why am I saying all this? What does this have to do with our reading? What it has to do with it is that now that we're getting close to the end, there are things that I won't have time to rant on. So I'm just going to rant a little bit on it now as we close out Zechariah, because Zechariah does leave us with a few words. There's, there's, a, there's a lot here, okay? I, I ain't got time. <laughs> I do not have time, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there now, all right? Just to make sure. Because there's so much here. Um, and so much that's so beautiful about Zechariah, you know. But the one thing that I want you guys to notice Fam, as you've been reading, and this is the stuff that's going to get the seasoned Christians a little bit, it's going to get all tight inside, and, and they're going to get a little comfortable, is up to this point, up to this point, reading through all these books, we just read, for those of you who are the OGs who've been reading me, with me from Genesis, all the way now, we're about to start Malachi. We're going to read Malachi tomorrow. For those of you who've read this with me, how many of you have seen anything about repenting of your sins so that you can go to heaven? Pregnant pause. For those of you who are here, who are reading how many have seen from now what we're looking at this from the Hebraic lens and I know this is going to get people uncomfortable because if you notice here there's a broad story here of what God is doing in the history of humanity which is not necessarily the perspective that you grew up with in the church. We've taken the narrative of repent of your sins so that you can go to heaven through a couple slivers of text and not looking at it from the broader context of what God actually wants to do. What God is actually looking to establish. We miss it out. We miss out on our understanding of the gospel. We miss out on our understanding of Jesus. We miss out on all of it because we actually don't. We, we're reading this text from all types of pretexts and preconceptions. Missing on all of it. Hey, Irene, good to see you. 
Oh my gosh, that's my sister. Um, we read this with pretext. And so we insert heaven and hell all through this text. We're inserting heaven and hell, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. But where is it here? What, what is our understanding? Not to say that there isn't a heaven and a hell. Understand that. But what is our understanding of it? And what is the greater story of what God is doing here? Zechariah closes with the hope of Israel. We're reading the judgment of Israel. We talked about this yesterday, so I'm not going to repeat it. Just go back and watch the read and rant or participate in the read and rant from yesterday. Join our Patreon community. Do all of that. But Zechariah ends with the hope of Israel. The, the Old Testament is about the hope of Israel. The Old Testament is about the promise of Israel. The hope of Israel. It's not about Christians. It's not about, you know, what we've made it in the church. This isn't about the church. <laughs> this is about the history of the children of Israel and what their part and their role is in the world and how that role or, or sorry, or the implications of that role for the rest of humanity. What is Israel's role and part in the story of human history? And this is the thing that we miss out. And this is this is this is where Christians get a little uncomfortable. You know, the seasoned ones who, when they read Exodus. <laughs> <laughs> they still read it like it was written to them, right? Or, you know, they'll read the Ten Commandments and they'll say, well, these are the rules that we ought to follow unto righteousness. You're missing it. You're missing it. You have to back up for a moment. And I know I don't want to get too deep here, but I've got to get, I got to, I got to dig in a little bit here. I have to dig in a little bit because we, so many of us have missed that. So many of us have made our faith walk about something it's not. And what Zechariah is really doing is Zechariah is pointing us to the hope of the gospel. We see Jesus all up in Zechariah. Zechariah is a powerful book because when we talk about the message of Jesus, like, like the gospel, what Jesus actually has done and what Jesus has accomplished, we see the hope of what Jesus will do in Zechariah. But then also when we read Revelation, which is actually the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the book of Revelation is not the book of the end times. <laughs> okay, you can watch that. You can watch that Bible study on Patreon. Okay, it's there. We did a whole Bible study on Revelation. That Revelation is not a book of the end times. The Revelation, the book of Revelations, is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called Revelation. <laughs> It's about the unveiling, the revealing of Christ, of Jesus. Go read Revelation again, but don't read it from the lens of, it's a book about the end times. Read it from the lens of, this is the revealing of Jesus. Which is why John, when he writes Revelation, pulls out so much from Zechariah, so much imagery from Zechariah. He pulls out all this imagery from Zechariah because again, Zechariah is speaking from the lens of a people who have not yet seen Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is, but they are anticipating this Jesus. And notice what their hope is in. 
he closes with the hope that all nations will worship the king. He's speaking from a perspective of the establishing of a new order, the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God is one in which center to it will be Jerusalem. And out of Jerusalem will come the flourishing of humanity on the earth. This is the accomplishment of what God was restoring from the book of Genesis when he told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Okay. You know, it's only the modern Christian lens that ever saw the book of Genesis, even the narrative of the book of Genesis as the beginning of all things. It's only the modern, only, 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 only the postmodern Christian view, the modern Christian view thinks of it that way. Not realizing that it was the beginning of God's work on the earth to establish the earth for what he intended the earth to be which is why he replenished the earth with his spirit through humanity. God was going to establish his justice, his flourishing, and his rule on earth through humanity. And yet mankind sinned. And now God through Israel was going to restore humanity. That was God's promise that he would do it through Israel. This was the Hebrew ideal. This was the belief. This was their understanding. This is what we see this as. This is the perspective that we ought to have concerning this Old Testament, that we're reading the story of how people journey given the promise and the covenant of God, and they have failed over and over and over and over again. And it is in part their failure that we see now, the reason why all the things transpired here. Israel could not fulfill the promise and the covenant. The covenant could not be fulfilled by Israel. And yet God was still manifesting his covenant through Israel. So God has his promise for humanity through Israel. And Israel had their promise. But now while God's promise and Israel's promise Israel doesn't fulfill his side of the deal does not mean that God won't fulfill his side of the deal. God still intends to fulfill his promise for the earth through Israel. Are y'all with me? I'll check it out, Lorna. I'd love to check it out. <clears throat> why? Why does all this matter? Why am I saying all this? Why? Well, where are we going with this? Because what? Oh, it was over time, y'all. No, I, I, I'm going to hang here for a little bit. I want you guys to understand that Israel's hope is that there would be a king who would establish this kingdom for which all kingdoms in the world would thrive from. This would be the kingdom of God, where all nations would worship under this king, this, 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 this messianic king, this king who would bring all things right and make all things right. This was Israel's aspiration. Israel's aspiration was not about let's follow the rules, let's follow the law because we're God's people so that we can go to heaven. This is not Israel's aspiration. This was not Israel's understanding. Israel's understanding is about a coming of the kingdom of God. What Israel waited for all throughout the Old Testament was the coming of the kingdom of God. Israel was waiting for this king who would come and make all things right. That's what Israel's waiting for here. Not what we'd be preaching all the time in church. <laughs> or even when we read the Old Testament, we read it that way and we miss the gospel. We actually miss it. We miss the message. We miss what Jesus actually accomplished. If you notice from all our time and reading here, 
this is probably from all the time in reading the Old Testament, <clears throat> this is probably the most I've ever used the name Jesus in our reading. Up to this point, and you know, of course, we, we, you can't miss Jesus. You can't miss Christ because he's all throughout the Old Testament. But this is probably the most you've heard me say Jesus over and over again. Because Jesus is all up in Zechariah. If you want to spend some time and read it again and start seeing, hold on a second. This Messiah, this king, is also a shepherd. What king do we know is also a shepherd? This king that is coming. Notice what he says in chapter 9, verse 9. It's going to come with justice, having salvation. So he's the one that's going to have salvation. And what is he going to do? He's going to come lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. Wait a second. This is, this is Jesus that we're talking about. This king is going to enter into Jerusalem and establish his kingdom. And this king would also be a shepherd. A shepherd that the shepherds would reject. So this king would come lowly riding on a donkey. This king would be a shepherd. We can go all day. If you notice, he is the branch of, of, of Israel, the branch. They, this term branch, he is the branch. We see it over and over again. As a matter of fact, when you read the Gospels, you're going to see you're going to see quotes from the book of Zechariah over and over and over again. Zechariah is having nighttime visions of the coming of Jesus. And he puts these in word. And now we begin to see Jesus being the fulfillment of what Israel could not fulfill. When we read in the text in, in chapter 12, how they mourn the pierced one. This is Jesus. <clears throat> this is the fulfillment of the promise. This is the fulfillment of the contract. This is the fulfillment of what God is doing and accomplishing. I'm saying all of this because I, I want to make sure you understand where we're going with this. Is central to Zechariah is Jesus. It's Christ, Yeshua. The 30 pieces of silver. We go all day. It's exactly right. We see all the images of the accomplishment of the life and the ministry of Jesus on earth. <clears throat> and the Lord, chapter 12, verse 9, read, and shall be king over all the earth in that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. The people will dwell in this land. There will be no more weeping and crying. There will be flourishing and joy. This is not an aspiration for heaven. This is an aspiration for the earth. This is an aspiration for what we were, what we are to see here on earth. Remember, Jesus' prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done. What? On earth as it is in heaven. It didn't say your kingdom leaves the earth. It says your kingdom comes. So we see in this in Zechariah that he is the high priest. We see in Zechariah that he is the branch. We see in Zechariah that he is exactly right. We see in Zechariah that he is the shepherd. We see in Zechariah that he is the king. He's all those things. And one day, the, the day will come when the nations will worship the king. the establishment of the kingdom. 
And I love how in the end he says, yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness. The last verse to the Lord of hosts, everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day, there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. We're going to come back to that because you're going to see this all come together, not only in Malachi, but you're going to see it come together as we read through it. I'm going to hold that. We're going to hold on to that. To know what, who do they represent? Who are these? Anyway, all that is to say is for those who grow up in church, you may not have ever heard it from this perspective, right? You grew up in church and you read the Old Testament like these are principles and ways for you to live, things that you need to do in order to, to you know, to go to heaven. <laughs> You're probably, you're probably taught that, well, you know, um, you need to follow these rules so that, you know, you can be accepted by God. Now, realizing that not a single one of these rules was written to you. What I love about uh, Zechariah is Zechariah exposes two things and then I'm done. Cause I'm over time. Y'all know I'm, I'm, I just cut it off cause I can be here all day ranting. <clears throat> what Zechariah does is Zechariah speaks to Israel in this moment and says, these things will transpire and can transpire if they repent. So he's saying to Israel, if you repent, if you change your ways, if you follow these laws, this kingdom will come now. I mean, he's not saying this to us. He's saying this to Israel. He's saying that this, this kingdom will come and we'll get to see all these things come into fruition if you just repent and change your ways. This is what he tells Israel. And for many, we can read that and go, this is all Israel has to do. Then, okay, then Israel, just repent and change your ways. <laughs> but we've been reading for long enough, fam, to know that Israel's not going to repent because Israel has no capacity to repent. Israel's heart has been completely tainted. Israel can't be who God who they promised to be in the covenant that they made with God. The old covenant was a covenant that was good for God, but not good for Israel because Israel continued to fail over and over and over again. Israel wasn't going to change. So the people are like, okay, this king will come. Uh, we anticipate the coming of this king. Yes, we anticipate the coming. If we can just repent and change our minds, how many of us have done that? How many of us have tried to live that way? How many of us have said, you know what? I'm going to do right by God now. You know what? I'm going to get it right this time. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to be the best Christian I can be. How many of us have done that? Said, yep, I'm going to do right. I'm going to do right by God. I'm going to do right by God this time. God, I promise. I promise I won't do that thing that I said I wouldn't do again. Yes, God, I promise I'm going to live right. I'm going to do right because God, I love you. And I'll, how many of us have done that? And how many of us have failed over and over and over and over and over again? Somehow we think that by our own power and by our own ability, by our own desire, because some of us are well-meaning by our own desire, we're going to fulfill the things that we promised to God only to find out that there's nothing we can do without his help. Rather than making promises to God, how about we try this? How about we accept the spirit of God that transforms us to know that he loves us more than anything in the world? How many of us try to be right and to do right. And yes, if they would, if Israel would just do right, this is Zechariah saying, hey, listen, if y'all just repent, Jesus will come now. 
Of course, the name here isn't Jesus. We didn't see Yeshua here. But this this branch, this this shepherd, this this king, this high priest, he's gonna come now. And he's gonna clothe us with righteousness. If you if you would just repent, just do it. We know how the story ends. Israel doesn't repent. But just because Israel didn't fulfill the promise, it did not mean that God wasn't going to fulfill his side because God had all of humanity in mind, not just Israel. He wanted to restore Israel to restore humanity. I think there are many of us who miss that part of the story. That Israel is central to the story because Israel must be restored for humanity to be restored. The world needs to be stored. In order for the world to be restored, humanity must be restored. For humanity to be restored, God, through his promise, has to restore Israel. How will God do that? Because there's a point where God's not going to sit around and wait. There's a point where God's not going to sit around and say, okay, you know, they're never going to get it right. At some point, God's going to need to do a work in them. And what does that last chapter tell us that God does? God pours out his spirit on them. God pours out his spirit on Israel, and it's this spirit that brings about repentance. Exactly right. A bunch of folks confessing is not repenting. Israel needs repentance, but Israel cannot and has not shown repentance. It's the Holy Spirit then that convicts and gives repentance. And so here, what Israel aspires won't see until God pours out his spirit. So what Israel actually needs is not to get it right. They need the outpouring of the spirit of God. There are those of us right now that are saying, God, I'm going to do right. You're, you're saying the wrong thing. Let me say that one more time. There are those of you right now that are saying, God, I'm going to do right this time. You're saying the wrong thing. You're setting yourself up for failure because you've been messing up every time. What's going to be different this time? No, you're saying the wrong thing. You're praying the wrong thing. You don't need to promise to God that you're going to do right. What you need is to submit to God, to say, God, give me your spirit. Some of us are praying for the wrong stuff, saying, God, I'm going to do right this time. No, God, I need you to transform my heart. Same way David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit in me. God's like, no, you don't need to do right. What you need is you need a transformation, a resurrection. You need the outpouring of the spirit of God. That is what's going to get you to be who God calls you to be. Let's stop making promises to God. We need God to actually transform our heart. Israel needed a transformation of heart. They needed an outpouring of the Spirit of God that would transform their heart and incline their heart towards Him. Let's stop making empty promises. The covenant, this covenant, this law, this, this, this thing that Israel was given was just an empty promise on Israel's side, but it's a promise that will be fulfilled on God's side. The beautiful thing about this message and the message of the gospel is that Israel could not be what they promised to be, but Jesus became what Israel could not God still had a promise through Israel, so God called a Hebrew man to be what the Hebrews could not be, to live and become and to do what the Hebrews could not do. He would be their righteousness. He would be for them what they couldn't be. And through that, he then ushers in his kingdom. Jesus lived a life that Israel could not live and died the death that Israel should die. It was literally a transfer, an exchange. 
And it's, it's the hope that Israel has to see this come to fruition. But Israel now can't wait for their own repentance. Israel has to wait for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. So today, fam, let's pray that the Spirit of God pour out on us. Like, pray that the Spirit of God gives us strength. Let's stop making empty promises to God. Let's pray and say, God, help us be who you've called us to be. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we come before you acknowledging our shortcomings, our weaknesses. Father, as we stand here, Lord, we're well aware of the empty promises that we've made, knowing that we fail over and over again. So this time around, God, pour out your spirit on us, Lord. Lord, give us what we need, Lord, so that we can do what you've called us to do. Lord, give us wisdom, strength, and boldness that only your spirit can bring. For we know, Lord God, on our own, we can accomplish nothing. So we trust in you, relying on you. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen.